Did you know Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to increase the size of almost all your orders? Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks, no coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, or Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrades, cross-sales, or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you could boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Now, hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you could do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. Today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we are talking to a gentleman who has made clothes for my toddler. Wait, hold on. That's not quite right. He has designed his own t-shirt line and it is so adorable. We dressed our daughter in his clothes and it is the, she has a pizza power shirt. It is the cutest thing ever. Today we are talking to the owner, founder, entrepreneur behind ambitiouskids.com. And Ambitious Kids is a brand that started in the pandemic and has now grown and is successful and is evolving. And it is such a cool story. And he's just starting. And so I wanted to dive into it. And here's some of these early learnings from someone who started a, a store at a, a difficult time and has been able to succeed and grow a brand in a really competitive space. Apparel, t-shirts, that's hard because the barrier to entry is, is fairly low now. And so I'm joined by Kyle Hale, Minneapolis-based entrepreneur who went from sales exec to tech COO to e-commerce brand owner and dad, founder of Ambitious Kids, a clothing line making graphic tees, hoodies, and baseball tees, reflecting the big personality of Earth's littlest humans. Uh, I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Tech nasty. Kyle, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kurt. I, lo I love the Tech Nasty, and, and I have to just ask, how, how is the queen, also known as Mrs. Tech Nasty, how's she doing? <laughs> uh, Mrs. Tech Nasty, Mrs. Elster, uh, going strong. Uh, the, it's a, you know, because everything she does is, is travel-based, and so it's such a weird time for it, where it's just really like waxes and wanes with what, what COVID is currently doing. Like, we were in the theme parks, and then, oh, it's like Omicron hit, and I don't know. It's been it's been up and down, truthfully. I think it was so interesting how some brands got these massive tailwinds from the pandemic, and some had massive headwinds. And, and I think, in the end, all will balance out. But you know, I have some friends that are in like the um, the space of repping brands and getting them into like Target and Best Buy, so they own like rep firms. And you know, those big retailers are headquartered here in Minneapolis, and the tailwinds they got just blow my mind. Some had such big tailwinds that they ended up with exits during the pandemic. Hmm. And you have, you know, someone like Miss Tech Nasty, who has a, a Disney travel-based business, who 
who obviously had some headwinds because, well, nobody was going to Disney for a while, a while there. But I think she'll come out uh, ahead, you know, um, here in the not too distant future. Uh, I hope so. You know, traffic's uh, trending up. She's she's starting to get her uh, commission and affiliate payments again. So that's good. Good. Uh, and thank you for asking. I appreciate it. But let's. We're here to discuss you, sir. What the heck is Ambitious Kids? What is this brand? It's really uh, it's something that um, I started, you know, kind of after what I kind of call my former life a little bit now is as kind of in the tech space and you know venture back tech space and wanted to kind of shed that skin to to a degree and and start something different and it's really a brand that's centered around recognizing I think the personality of of you know like you said Earth's youngest humans which is just so interesting to me to, to watch them develop and the way their personalities develop and your observations as a parent. And so it's a brand that really takes graphic design. I design all the, you know, all the shirts myself and screen print those designs that reflect that personality and family culture onto uh, t-shirts and baseball tees and hoodies now. And I think, you know, that line will continue to evolve. So that's, that's really what it is. What, what was the impetus? What was the thing that made you say, I should pursue this? I think it was a few different things. One was that I always had this strange notion that when I had a kid, I would do something and I had no idea what that meant. I, I didn't know that that was going to be a, you know, a, a clothing brand. Um, but where I do really well is when I'm close to market, you know? Um, so like in my past where I've had success, whether it was with Bite Squad, which was a you know a restaurant delivery service based out of Minneapolis that we sold, like I can order food, right? And I love ordering food and I love food. So I could be close to market with that. So I think when you like when I can kind of shape shift and be part of the market is when I do well because I think that just comes through in your work then. Um, so I think that was part of it, and then I had the kind of mental space to take a break after we sold Bite Squad to decide what was next. And I just like Sky was born in um, February of 2018, so he's almost going to be four here at the end of February of 2022. And I just was kind of like these ideas just were kind of chirping at me of like just observing his personality. And I enjoyed the ritual of dressing him. And like I noticed that if he had a fun shirt on or a fun outfit on that like either was a statement shirt or just had a great design, it could kind of make things a little more lighthearted during the day in a tough moment and or people would interact with him out in the world if they liked what he was wearing. Um, so then I just started... Uh, kind of a, a spreadsheet literally of ideas that I had and that's where you see things like master of negotiation where I just was like I can't believe how many deals this two-year-old is trying to swindle like from the <laughs> moment he wakes up to the time we go to bed whether it's like you know no I want to put my socks on before my pants or like one more smoothie this morning or one more book at night and it's just like never ending and so I couldn't believe how much negotiating he was doing um, and as someone with a sales background I just found that kind of fascinating so then all these ideas just kind of came to life and that was kind of why the brand started. And then as I started making beta shirts, which originally I just did print on demand. So like whether it's master in negotiation or some of the more simple designs, I just printed through like, you know, printful before I kind of went full on and in like inventorying and working with screen printers here as I was developing the brand, these beta shirts, when he would wear them out in the wild, like people were commenting on them like without fail. And I was like, well, this is kind of cool that, depending on what you dress your kid in, like that can spark a positive interaction out in the world and like get a smile or a laugh or a conversation. And that kind of then became a little bit of, of the mission was, you know, especially in such a contentious uh, time the last few years, 
both politically and, um, you know, with COVID and all these things, like someone with the idea that someone with completely different views than I may have, like we can still center around, like we all want our kids to be the best they can be and to have good interactions and experiences. So then that kind of fueled the like, really like, Hey, I'm going to go all in on this inventory product, not do print on demand. Um, and just really make this a true brand. So, so did, in your, your background here, you go sales executive, tech CEO, t-shirt designer, right? Did you have yeah. an artistic background? Not, not, um, and just one correction. I was there, our COO, not our CEO. COO, uh, sorry. Bite Squad, COO. But, I can't even um, reading it. I keep saying CEO. It's like just <laughs> that's all right. habit. COO. Yeah. There we go. Um, so I think this is an interesting topic in that I think people sometimes put their skills in like a bucket and just keep it there instead of seeing it as a more fluid thing. So if you look at my drawings as a kid, they're, they're pretty bad. Like actually they're really bad. Um, but if you look at when I, like I have story projects from when I was a little kid that my mom like, had, like gave me a big box of a few years ago. And when I would write stories, like if there was a class project, I can see the collection of stories of, of other kids and then mine next to theirs because that was kind of how they printed these projects out. You could kind of see all the kids' stories. And mine were always different. Like the drawings weren't very good, but the story was good. And it was different than the take that maybe the other kids had. Whereas like maybe the other kids kind of did, all did the same story. Like I had a different take, a different view of it. And I was always strong with words. So like you might say, well, how someone who can't draw, there's no way they're going to start a, a t-shirt brand and draw the designs. But what I was good at was like taking words and images and meshing them together to make something that gets a reaction out of people. So I think that's where you can maybe sometimes get lost in a lane of like, well, I can't draw. Well, okay. Well, you could probably learn that and get most of the way there. And because you are strong with words and visuals, like put them together, you can you can make something. No, absolutely. It's easy to have limiting beliefs that, that hold you back on things. And one mm -hmm. is, you know, I can't do that because I don't have that skill. I, it, you'll see, this is a thing you see with kids. It's like, well, I tried it and immediately I was not amazing at it. And therefore uh, I'm bad at it and I should never try. Right? It's like, if I'm not instantly yeah. good at it, I should give up. And that's such a limiting belief. And when you put it in that extreme, you know, it makes it sound silly. But we do this to ourselves all the time. And in this case, it sounds like you knew, like, all right, you knew you couldn't make the, you could come up with a creative idea and you could communicate it, but you couldn't necessarily create the final output, the technical output required to print it on a t-shirt. How did you, you come to accept that and, and come up with a solution there? Well, I think what's so fantastic about now and to anyone listening to this that was like me and I listened to the show as I was developing the concept, uh, Kurt. So, you know, thank you for putting this stuff out there because I think I think it's important to hear other stories to motivate you. And then I think there's a period in time then where you have to say like, okay, I've heard enough stories now. I need to like take action myself. And so I had this period of time where I listened to a ton of podcasts around e-commerce and then I just went dark and I didn't listen to anything. And I said, okay, I got to get to work now and I got to draw. And so with it's so like my my thought to all of the people out there that are thinking about doing something is there is now, you know, with like the gig based economy and like kind of outsourced services, someone like me with no drawing experience can learn how to draw well enough to get a design like 80, 90 percent of the way there and then work with someone like Design Pickle or an outsourced graphic designer to say, hey, can you help me polish this and get it? So I think to me it was like, all right, I can I can see what I want in my head and I have inspirational creative out there that I'm basing this design off of. Um, and now I can work with somebody to, to, to get it there. So to me, it was just like, 
there's enough resources now around in the gig economy and other places where you can take that raw idea and bring it to life with the help of some other people. I there's there are two lessons here. One is it's important to be prepared, but preparation at some point becomes procrastination where you're just permanently in this like research and development phase in which you're gathering more and more info and you're learning more and more. And as you essentially like at some point the scale tips and you're instead of doing now you're, you're not researching anymore. You're just coming up with more and more reasons as to why you shouldn't Mm -hmm. like I often wonder if I were to start over, had I known more about the journey I was about to go on, would I have done it? Like, did I know, you know, not knowing what I didn't know, is that what saved me? Is that what enabled me? And so I think there, it's a, a thing to, to ponder if you're like, you've been researching, you've been thinking about it for 18 months, 24 months. Like, at what point do you just pull the trigger and try it? Um, and certainly experience is the best teacher. And then to your other point, wow, the amount, we live in a, a golden age of information that also includes interconnecting people and services. That gig economy, tremendously helpful for building a lot of the things that you, most of us can't do on our own, be that a logo or a t-shirt design. And, you know, you're, and you're pumping money into, you know, other people's businesses when you do that, you know, like I've, I've supplied a lot of probably paychecks to the screen printers I work with and uh, to the graphic designers I've worked with. And that feels really good too. Like I don't, it's just me, right? I have some, I have some shipping help with some lo local college kids that, are, that do a great job for me. But outside of that, it's just me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a single founder-led business, so. You had some good advice for new store owners in there, which is really like, hey, just get started. And the things that you can't do, uh, you can hire out on short-term basis for to knock those objections out of the way. Any other advice? Because it's, it's relatively recent. You started this not that long ago. Yeah, I just celebrated my first year. I think one really important lesson is to work with what you have. When you're starting and you don't have, um, let, let, let's say whatever the case is, maybe you don't have a lot of cash to put in the business or you don't have you know, a fancy videographer or whatever it may be, work with what you have. So like I have this office space that you can kind of see behind me here. It's an old warehouse space. I thought, wow, there's great natural light in here. Um, I'm gonna buy a camera, learn how to use a camera. Uh, so I take all my own photos. Um, I have, you know, I have a son who uh, I can put shirts on when it's convenient and get pictures of him, you know, for some on model shots. Um, I have my personal skills, which is using words and creativity. Um, I have knowledge of, you know, email marketing. I have just my, my own personal skills I've developed over time. So I think be comfortable in working with what you have and don't worry about making the perfect thing. Um, so I think that's one really important lesson. Then in a second, I would say is, you know, don't don't do exactly as your competition does, and this kind of goes into into marketing a little bit. So, I think to stand out, like at the end of the day, I think a lot of marketers forget that marketing is really just feelings. It, it's getting it, it's doing something that gets people to feel something and to take action. And so, when I think of parents, like which is kind of my core customer. Um, they're on the couch, you know, whatever, they're watching Bachelor in Paradise uh, or something on a Monday night and they're scrolling and they're scrolling. Well, if they see, you know, a flat lay of a t-shirt with like some little kid's tchotchke next to it, which everybody is kind of doing, like then it just becomes more of the same scroll, scroll, keep moving. 
So do something that stands out. So for me, that was like really crisp photography where the product is the star really up close. And, and my brand is kind of about big colors, bright, you know, big contrast of the ink against the fabric of the shirt. And so to me, that was my differentiator. And no one else was really doing that. Um, everybody was kind of doing the same thing. So I think that's where I found some success. So I'd say like, yeah, two of those things work, work with what you have and be comfortable with that. And then two is don't do the same thing that everybody else is doing. Find something that's true to you and your creativity and, and let that shine through and stand out so people can feel something and take action. Accidents happen. Maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme or store collaborator deleted product images by mistake. Common myth. Shopify is a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store. Untrue, they don't. Myth busted. So what do you do instead? You use Rewind to equip your Shopify store with automated backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 100,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Nix and Movement Watches, it's even a Shopify Plus certified app. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention the unofficial Shopify podcast to get your first month absolutely free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind Backups. Find it in the Shopify app store or visit rewind.com. Certainly that, that authenticity is what makes or breaks people, especially in, I think it's more important than ever. How, one of the other struggles that people have early on is how do you get those first sales? Where did you get your first sales? So, I mean, I had, I let friends and family know, of course, at first, but I, I just kind of used that, viewed that as like, okay, that's just like a box you check because you want to get some transactions coming through. But I was like, okay, I'm going to learn Facebook ads. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn Facebook and Instagram ads on my own. And I had never done that before. I built, you know, big teams to lead that charge for other companies that I've either co-founded or, or been a part of, but I'd never been in ad manager pulling the gears on my own. And going back to kind of that outsourced service is what I did was I hired, I contracted somebody to, to do ads with me. So I think that's a, a important distinction of like done for you versus done with you. And a big piece of advice I would have is as intimidating as it can be, find someone on Upwork to, you know, just pay on an hourly basis to help you learn the ins and outs of ad manager if you're going to be running paid ads so that you can, uh, one, control your own destiny, but like that's a huge life skill. There's not many people that are actually, a lot of people run ads on Facebook. Not many people are actually very good at it. Um, because you need to understand creativity and psychology, which is the most important thing. Because the way I look at it is like, if nobody's clicking on your ads, it's because you're making them feel nothing. That's what I tell like other founders that I like talk to or mentor with is like, if you're not getting ad clicks, it's because people are feeling nothing about your ads and you need to change that. That's the most important thing. It comes down to creative, I think, first and foremost. So I think you, you start to understand like what works and what doesn't. And then as you understand the kind of tactical levers you can pull an ad manager around audiences or, or you know, budget optimizations or whatever it may be, you, it's just an important skill to have. And even if your business fails, but you learn that really well, um, you've got a, a skill that's valuable to, to companies. So um, and agencies, while they can be great, um, and I've got a lesson there because I at one point outsourced my marketing to an agency so I could focus on the business more because my thought was, you know, I've learned this from scratch and I'm getting like insane results out of my ads. So I'm not a professional. Like I just learned this in the last six months. Certainly a professional agency could like take my three, four X row as I'm getting and turn that into seven. And boy, was I wrong about that. <laughs> so 
So I ended up uh, like, you know, I had a contract with an agency for, agency for a couple of months and now you're paying them a retainer and here's kind of the lesson. So you're paying an agency a retainer now plus your ad spend. And if they're reckless with your ad dollars, which the group that I hired was, and I've hired a lot of agencies, so this wasn't my first like, you know, rodeo on that. They were reckless with my ad dollars and they had a retainer and that was like detrimental to my my cash flow. And so I, I had to kind of, you know, get rid of them pretty quickly within six weeks on a, you know, 90 day contract. Um, so I think it's an important lesson that you can keep more cash in the business if you're running your own ads. And then one day, if you do hire it out, then you can keep up in the conversation and you can know when they're doing something wrong, or at least you want to be able to ask the right questions. So I think it's a very important skill to have. So that would be another, I think, a, a good piece of advice around marketing. And that's how I got my first few sales. And then, you know, so the business launched in December of 20, uh, of 20, and then January, kind of first quarter of 21, it was growing. So like from, you know, whatever, 5K to 10K to 20K. And then in April, I finally did my first video ad, which was which was intimidating to do for the first time because you've got to find like caption software because you have to have captions because people just don't most like 70% of videos don't have the volume on, I think, is the stat or something like that. Which one did you use? Uh, Kapwing. Uh, I use Rev, R-E-V. Okay, yeah. I, I think I've used them as well. I've used a few different ones, but they all kind of have their different challenges, you know. Um, but just learning those few things for the first time to me is the bigger hassle than actually making the video. I, like my first video was like mic drop, one take, done, here you go. And then it took me like an hour to figure out the captions. And so I took my first video ad live in April, which I, I sent you the, the video. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but it's just it's just me like standing, like you can see this rack of shirts in the background here. Just me standing by the rack of shirts going here, here, like here's what I have. And my revenue went from, you know, like 20 grand a month to almost 60, like immediately. And so mm. I was like, wow, the power, <laughs> the power of video is much stronger than I even realized. And then I never looked back and that's, and that's a long form video. That's like a minute long video. And everybody's always saying, don't do long video. Don't do long video. I've not been able yeah, to replicate a minute, this success. Nine seconds. It really is just you in this yeah. space talking through these shirts. Hey everyone, Kyle from ambitious kids here is how it opens. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's just pretty much a soft sell. And it's funny, like I'll see, you know, that, that video has had, I think now close to a million views and like 10,000, you know, likes and a lot of comments. And I think there's some comments in there that are just kind of show that the video is what it is. It's like one lady said, Hey, here's some stuff I made. If you like it, cool. If you don't, great. Best sales pitch ever. <laughs> you know? So it's like just that, that super such soft a good sell. sales pitch though. She's not wrong. Well, it's, it's like, just take it or leave yeah. it. This is me. Right. Like, you know, so I, you guys had a, a good quote the other day on one of the shows that was like the product that is for everybody is for nobody, you know? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think that's true. And it's kind of like, I, I don't have any illusions that everybody's going to like these. Like some people aren't going to like them and that's fine. And I don't really care. Like, you know, that's fine. And certain, if as soon as you have a, a video with a million views and thousands of comments, you get some, some crappy comments in there. Everyone handles them differently. I'm always curious, how do you handle them? Largely, my social experience has been fantastic. Like I cannot believe how many nice things people have said and, and DM me or in the comments or whatever. It's really beautiful. But there are um, people that just without any context come in and want to label you as a gaslighter or a bad person. And you're just thinking Isn't like- is strange? It is strange. And so, I think my philosophy on how to approach this is to view all of your digital ecosystem as like 
an old timey classic storefront, you know, like the, like that old window, like that old window shopping. And it's like, if somebody were to come and write on my store, like you're a jerk or you're a gaslighter or something like I would, I would want to probably, if it was really offensive, I'd want to take that off of my storefront, right? If someone came and spray painted that on my storefront, if they came into my store and said, Hey, I don't agree with this one shirt in your collection you know, why are you making this? Um, then I view that as, well, let's have a discussion about that. And so when people troll you, I, I don't like to come back at them with more negativity. I like to give the context of why I made certain things. So like, let's say Meltdown Island, as, as an example, like a few days ago, some lady was telling me that I was, you know, being hurtful to kids because they have meltdowns. And I was like, listen, we, we all are learning how to be better with our behaviors and kids especially. And I don't think that's something you sweep under the rug. I think that's something that you celebrate as normal behavioral development. Wow. Way to flip that back on her. It's oh, like, thank look, you. We're, we're normalizing this thing. I think it's concern trolling. I think it's people who they feel self-important and they bring attention to themselves by tearing someone or something else down in a way that makes it sound like, you know, I'm just worried about the kids. You know, I'm just concerned about this and the fabric of society. And, and the worst part is engaging in the discussion only encourages them to do it more. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's like, I think the context of why people create things matters. Like, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but we have to be at a place where we can not agree on everything, but still be okay with each other. And I, and I always think about like this lady, I have no idea who she is. I, I don't have any ill will towards her. Like, even if she doesn't like a few of the things I've, I've done. And when I responded to her in that way, and I, and she kind of came back at me and she was like, well, it's sad that you don't see it. And I said, listen, yeah, see, I, you, I respect- There was nothing you were going to say that would have yeah, changed her mind. Right. But like, here's where the script kind of flips then is then I'm like, listen, I respect your criticism and your ability to do that, but it doesn't define me or my brand. And I left it at that. And then she came back and actually said, no disrespect to your creativity. You have a lot of cute products. And mm. it's like, well, you called me a gaslighter and that I was like sad for not recognizing certain things. So you, you did disrespect me, but it's okay. As soon like, as someone says no disrespect, you know yeah. immediately. It's like, well, if <laughs> right. you had to add that. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to give the illusion that I get a lot of those. I, I get a few of those, like a quarter. Um, you only get a handful, but when you yeah. do, it's like it's really yeah. annoying for s- several days. It is, and I don't think I could scale out responding to those forever. Probably as I get as I grow, but to me, it's important to like have those discussions and for people to see, like, hey, not like fighting that to- fighting that comment with more like hate and anger like isn't going to solve anything. So it's kind of become an important like mission for me to to speak with those people and give them the context of where I'm coming from in a respectful way. You know, and truthfully, it, seeing those those comments, it drives engagement. Yeah. It helps the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing you reply to the stuff makes you more real and genuine and authentic. I think there there's advantages to it, but it's all, you know, at the same time, yeah. it's not sustainable long-term. Because uh, A, you don't want to encourage the behavior and uh, it's not a great use of time and B, eventually it'll drive you nuts. Yep. Yeah. So I, I agree. So I think you got to be selective with it, but I also want to like do my part to not just contribute more of the shit talking that happens on social, you know? Um, and I think it's important for a brand to show that they can navigate a tough conversation. 
That it, yes. And especially, I think just the nature of selling anything for children. Mm-hmm. And especially like a t-shirt. A t-shirt, it sounds it, superficially trivial. But at the same time, like a graphic design t-shirt, there is decades of culture behind that. And your identity gets wrapped up in it a little bit. And so yeah. I, I, I can see where to the right person in the right situation, it suddenly becomes a sensitive thing. Yep. Um, and that's like it, when you're going online with a, a new business and a brand and we're saying like, hey, you got to use video and you have to be authentic and you have to share your story and you need to be niche. Well, what we're really saying is, hey, you got to go out there and be vulnerable to a whole bunch of strangers that you're also asking for money. And so mm-hmm. you, comments in situations like this, they're inevitable. They're going to happen right. to everybody. Well, and I think too, like people don't stop and think about, hey, what did this person go through to like create this? You know, like it was incredibly embarrassing for me to like sit in a WeWork in Minneapolis and like draw what looked like like kids' drawings. Like, like, what is that guy okay? Like, why is he just sitting there with a bunch <laughs> of colored pencils drawing? It was, it was really, it was honestly scary and um, something I'd never done. And like, Sky also approves all of my designs, so I don't release a shirt unless Sky looks at it and likes it. And you know, so like it's a actually collaborative process with my kid and like it's brought us closer together and they're just, you know, so you, you have to understand where people are coming from. And I think we've all got to take more pause to do that. Uh, empathy. Empathy is a life skill for sure. So switching gears a little bit, you started out with Printful and then moved to screen printing and stocking your own inventory. Why? Is it the dream of you know, being able to, to drop ship it and have zero day inventory and you're just in time manufacturing? Well, to me, the most important thing was to make a really, really good product because if you start with that foundation, like your business will grow. So if you make an awesome product, that works so hard for you. And, and like, I wanted to make something that was different and that was better, in my opinion, than what was out there. So with, with print on demand and print on demand, I only did in like the beta testing before the site was live. And what I learned about that was the print area on print on demand of the shirt is really small. And my brand's about big colors, like big prints. So I, I really like max out like the size of the print on the shirt. And you can't really do that through print on demand. And then during the pandemic too, print on demand shipping times got incredibly terrible. I mean, like you're talking like five weeks to get like one shirt. Um, and so th- for those two reasons, but most importantly for the product reason, it was just like, I can't make the product I want to make through print on demand. And they also had very limited um, colors of shirts for toddlers and babies and, and kids. They had like two colors and I have a lot of, you know, I wanted to have a lot of colors. Uh, you know, perfectly sensible reasons. I had considered the print area, but yeah, you're, if someone else is making it for you, you're playing in their sandbox. So you yep. have to play by their rules. And it's like, use their blanks and print the way they decide. And if that works for your product, great. If it yep. doesn't, you know, it drives me nuts when I see people like trying to force a solution to fit the problem or feature set they want. Mm-hmm. And whether that's like a vendor or an app or whatever. And in your case, you went, look, it just, this doesn't work. And so you move to the higher quality, but more expensive option, screen printing. Yep. Did you know anything about screen printing? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, the, like conceptually, I, think, I get the idea. That's about it. <laughs> right. Well, I think one one other important thing on product was like, like you said in the beginning, you're in a competitive space. Like anybody can go and do POD and make a kid's t-shirt. So like one thing that was important for me is like when I had a concept or an idea, 
I went and I searched Etsy and I searched the internet. And if I could find that same concept, I didn't make the shirt. So like everything you see on my site, all my products, like you can't find really anything like it um, as far as like the theme or the design or whatever it is. So I think scarcity is important if you're in a competitive space to like stand out. Um, so, and no, I didn't know anything about screen printing and, you know, like that, that early journey of understanding screen printing and what kind of inks you can work with. You can work with Plastisol, which is like a plastic-based ink or water-based ink. I use water-based ink because it's better for the environment. And it also like, so water-based ink sinks into the fabric of the shirt and changes the color of the fabric of the shirt. Plastisol sink just sits on top of the shirt. So like that's where kids get that scratchy feeling they don't like on their, on their chest if it's a plastic ink. So I thought water-based ink was better for the environment. I thought it made for a cooler shirt. And then it also provides more of like a matte finish to the colors, which has more of a retro vibe. And like, I kind of wanted to have that retro feel in all my designs too. So um, I kind of learned that over time um, and went with water-based ink to start. And then I've learned a ton about screen printing in the last year. And it, it's, it, it's a craft and water-based is also way harder to work with because it dries faster on the screens. Um, it's just more finicky. It slops and flies around more. So you like you got to really choose your printing partners carefully. And I have two fantastic partners here in the Twin Cities that I work with. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15 percent overnight? This is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Don't worry, Tom Cruise. This mission isn't impossible. Just use Zipify one click upsell. Got mobile optimized offer pages that drive sky high conversions, plus built in split testing for maximizing your results. It's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $162 million in sales. And it only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Kurt, K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech nasty. So you've mentioned quite a few tools here. You, you're on Shopify. Uh, you use print-on-demand, Printful, to validate some of the early designs. Uh, Design Pickle as a, a gig service to handle making illustrations. What are some of the, the other tools that you have found helpful in your journey? I think one just to call out that maybe shop owners like don't, especially early on, like uh, take for granted is just literally your Shopify dashboard. Like, I know that's a really obvious answer, but the reason I say that is because everything you need to know about what's happening at a high level on a daily basis is there. So it's like, okay, how's my traffic today? Like, let's say you're having a down day in sales. You can say, okay, my traffic is about the same. Um, it looks like my, my traffic from social is about the same where I run my ads out of my AOV is the same, but my conversion rate, for whatever reason, today is just in the doghouse. I don't know why. And I think it just helps you have more peace of mind as, a, as an owner just to know, like, I, I don't know why conversion rate is down today. Nothing's changed. All my products in stock, all the things I could control are happening. There's just some, like, rules of the universe where, like, people on certain days just aren't buying, you know, and you don't know why. They're still coming to the site. They just aren't hitting purchase. And I think just that is interesting as as to the why and you know that's a whole rabbit hole but so i think just your shopify dashboard of like when you're early on especially like hey here's what's going on and you know just taking solace in that like you know what the numbers are and that tells you what you need to do or not do probably so i think that's a real simple one um and then outside of that like canva 
another kind of obvious answer, but like Canva allowed me to do more video, like after I kind of learned how to just do the basics and shoot my ads, like now I do more fun like collection videos or like if I like when I released my preschool hoodie, I did a really fun, um, a really fun video. And, you know, like those more intensive editing tools, like from Adobe or wherever it is, are really hard to learn. So like I think Canva is such a fantastic tool for that reason. And I know people talk about that one all the time. But So Canva could do video now? Yeah, which I didn't even know. And then I got an email from Canva and I was like, wait, you guys can do video? And I'm like, well, that's really good news because I've found your photo editing super easy. So I'm assuming your your video editing is really easy. Um, yeah, and, they, and they're like the transition screen, super easy, like really easy. Yeah, this looks good. Yeah, this is another one where if you th- if you think to yourself like I don't know graphic design, I can't do that's too hard. Canva uh and I'm sure there's other tools, but we've all used Canva. I mean, it really it, it is a tremendous utility for like I need some like X graphic design template and I don't really know what I'm doing, but I have an idea. And Canva just makes it really easy. And if they support video, that's phenomenal. Um I'm going to throw uh, placeit.net in as a suggestion. They can, it's similar to Canva. They could do all kinds of um, templated mock-ups, designs, logos, videos. I've had, I've had a lot of success with that one too. That's lesser known than Canva. So I'll put, and I'm putting these all in the show notes. For, um, for create, like if you need creative inspiration as a tool, Dribbble and Pinterest are amazing. So like, kind of speaking to the creative process, like sometimes I have an idea and it starts with just a font. Like I might be on Pinterest searching like vintage national park posters from the fifties. Oh man, you're speaking my language. Yeah. And I'll be like, Oh my God, look at, look at those, look at that like blue with gold, like color combo, or look at that font. And, and then that just sits in my head until a concept comes along that matches that color combo or that font. So like Dribbble and Pinterest are fantastic for like trying to just find inspirational cues would be a, like a big one. And that's, it doesn't really matter if that's UX, UI design, if you're into that space or if it's you're making t-shirts or whatever, like you can find a lot of inspiration there. I love the idea that everything is a remix, right? So mm-hmm. you're saying, hey, I like I'll see a font I like. Uh, okay, what can I use that? I'll find a font and then somewhere else you'll find a color palette. Uh, and then mm-hmm. somewhere else you'll find a layout. And they're all from separate places. And then when you put them together, it becomes an entirely original work. But the reality is, it's really, it's a remix of different things you saw, then put through your own lens, then also put through, you know, the um, an illustrator finishing it for you, and then separately mm-hmm. put through the limit, and then worked within the limitations and confines of what we can screen print and what will sell. And so you end up with this... Uh, the input was not nece- was not original, and then the output is. And I think that's how most creative processes work. And I think a lot of people are going through that thinking that they're not real creatives, they're not real artists, when the reality mm-hmm. is that's, that's probably how a majority of people work. You, you literally just pulled like out of my head how I felt when I was doing this because I was kind of like, am I like a poser because uh, – Imposter like, syndrome. Impo- yeah, exactly. I really felt that way. And then and then along the way as I was drawing, because I would stay up to like three in the morning, listen to music and draw like when I was developing the concepts. And I was listening to the Rick Rubin podcast. It's called Broken Record. You ever listen to that? No. No, I'll put it in the I, show notes though. Highly recommend it. So Rick Rubin, you know, he was like the, an original DJ and the Beastie Boys. And then he was the founder of, um, was it Def Jam? 
Um, but he produced all of, he's known as like the godfather of like hip hop production pretty much, right? He produced all the, the big albums through the nineties and to this day. And, you know, he would have like Kendrick Lamar on or Andre 3000 or whoever. And to hear them talk about like, they drew inspiration from, you know, whoever Marvin Gaye or someone, and, and you can hear that in their music. And then, and then like, as I started to listen to more seventies music and sixties music during when I was drawing, I was like, where do I know this song from? And I was like, oh my God, this, this, this was like half of these tracks were remixed into like Kanye's like college dropout album. And I'm just yeah, going, we, oh, this is just how it works. This is like people get inspiration from other people. And then you, like you said, it's the original input isn't, isn't like original, but the output is. And so I, I love that you said that because that was something I really experienced. Yeah. And when you don't embrace it, that's where you get imposter syndrome. And that's the limiting belief that holds you back. Um, there's a there's multiple books about it. I think there's one called Everything is a Remix um, and another uh, that's the Pablo Picasso quote, uh, good artists copy, great artists steal. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of our, our time together, but I did not want to let you go until we had discussed uh, some of your your conversion rate optimization testing. So you hired an agency to do uh, split testing for you. And well, what's been your experience? How is that going? So we've we've been about six weeks together so far. I heard of this agency on the um, Social Media Examiner podcast, which I know someone mentioned that one to you in a past episode, and I think that was a new one to you. But they have they have some good episodes, um, and we've ran. Uh, the, I would say the most consequential test we ran was around the collection pages. So, like, if you go to the toddler collection or the baby collection. Um, the test they ran was removing the price from the products on those collection pages. And that has been so far the variant that's really won out where, you know, it, the improvement was like 54%, which, which will be something like a, an additional like five to seven grand a month in net revenue. Um, so I think the idea of like, my brand isn't a discount brand. You know, I don't run a lot of discounts. I don't run a lot of promos. Um, and I think that because I'm not like a price-based product, um, but people are price sensitive, like letting them kind of get lost in the creative on the collection pages and then clicking on a product and then getting to it and then worrying about the price, I think stops those people who maybe are more price sensitive, but really could buy the shirt if they wanted to from just bouncing. And so that's been a really interesting test. And then we took that test now and we're testing on mobile, which is where most of my traffic and purchases come from. We're testing on the collection pages. Do we two, do we show two products side by side, or just one product at a time in the, in, in mobile as people scroll through the collection? So we'll see how that one turns out. Right now they're kind of neck and neck, two two images versus one side by side. So yeah, that one's that one's tough, and it's tough in a a CRO test. The worst is when you you have a CRO test that comes back as inconclusive, or yeah. when it tells you where it's like you could see one did better, but it goes, look, it's not actually statistically significant. Our confidence interval is too low. Oh, this is brutal. Where you go, flip a coin, it doesn't matter. Just let the data make the decision for me. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think too, like another piece of advice I would just have is if you have good traffic, so I think I, I have somewhere around like 55,000 um, monthly visitors. So if you have good traffic and once you've kind of got traction, I would invest in conversion rate optimization testing early because a lot of people are always just throwing more money at their ads. What you really want to be doing is just converting more of your traffic. Um, so I think I would, I would do that early on and that way you're kind of setting up yourself up for success. And the next test that we're running 
is more of like a floating add to cart button on mobile so they can access it easier all the time. And then we're doing oh, a, uh, a, like a sticky add to cart yeah, button where yep. it follows you down the page. Yep. So we're doing okay. that, and then we're and then we're also doing a, a menu at the bottom that almost looks more like an app menu. So like when you're on mobile, you can access collections easier at the bottom of the of of your phone, basically at the bottom of your screen, kind of more reflective of like a traditional like app menu at the bottom of the screen. So we'll see how that does. I think that one might be a good one. You know, with with conversion rate optimization testing, I find the hardest part is coming up with the test ideas, right? Like actually, Google mm-hmm. Optimize is such. I said that weird. Let me. Google Optimize <laughs> is such a easy to use, accessible tool. You know, it, it's free. It just plugs into Google Analytics. It's very easy to set up and work with. And so that's not the hard part. I find the hard part is, is coming up with with good tests and then uh, lesser implementing them in a statistically significant way because it turns out yep. it's shockingly easy to s- screw up and skew your own results. Um, but uh, one good resource I'll throw out is, is Good UI. Good UI has tons of great uh, tests and examples. And one of my favorite things is the, I forgot they call it, but it's like secret tests where they uncover, they'll take notice of tests that sites like Amazon and Etsy are running and then pay attention to, all right, which one do they stick with? And then they assume, they go, all right, we'll assume that if they that was a test they're running, that that was the winner. And you don't necessarily know it, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it anyway. A little nerdy. One more, like one more topic if we just have a quick minute that I think is valuable that sure. one area I've been successful I'd like to share some feedback on for people is I think just on your social feed, um, obviously there's just a lot of, you know, reels and stories and feed. And I think if I have, could have any advice on social, and this has worked for me, I, I've gone from, you know, obviously zero to I'm about to hit 33,000 followers um, probably tomorrow. Um, which I think is solid for like a year one business to, to scale that. And that's without like oh, buying followers. You know, I haven't done any, like I don't do any bots. Um, I have done no influencer stuff is so like, that's with, actually really good. Not pretty oh, good. You. It's, it's excellent. It like, yeah, it's, it surprised me. And the things that have worked for me, I would say is as a founder, like you're super busy. So just be, be consistent. And it takes a few weeks of posting before you realize like, what's my theme here. And so like, my theme is kind of like, like I've said before, let the product be the star. And I've really found that posts where like, I'm showing like four shirts, like two, two top, two below it, like that are just hanging on this old, this door behind me is an old original fire door uh, from this building. And I have magnetic, magnetic hooks and I just put them on there. And I found that, you know, just those close up product shots, like let the product be the star of your feed and the way that I think you should view your feed. And I didn't really realize this until about three months ago. Your feed is that old timey, retail window that people walk by, you know, when they used to really dress those up um, and you could see them and, and it causes you to slow down a little bit. And then you look at it and you're like, this place could be cool. I'm going to go inside of it. So I kind of view my feet as that old timey, like retail window shopping and as like a catalog. So if you can be consistent in your theme, it saves you time because you're like, okay, I kind of know what I do in, in my, for my theme. And my theme is big energy. Let the product be the star, fun, lighthearted, and once you kind of get that, you can just get that workflow consistently. So it helps you as a founder. And I think it helps people process your stuff easier. So I would say like be really steady with that. And then I recently started boosting posts that do really well organically. Even if it's just like five bucks a day and sending people to my feed versus my site. And I have some organic posts that I boost and send people to my site. But 
I found that sending people from really strong posts that I've boosted, that have done well organically, now are boosted, send them to my profile. Because I believe in my product so much and that my profile is really strong, I know that I'll get either followers or clicks to the website from there. And my, my data and kind of later analytics that I use, you know, shows that that's true. Kyle, for the people who are just, they're starting out, they're in their, their first year, what advice do you have for them? What do you wish you knew? I think um, be obsessed with getting traction. So I think the day in and day out, like you're going to have good days and bad days. And don't, I would say don't sweat little things day to day. Like don't care if you only get one like or 10 likes or two likes with your social feed or like if you have a bad sales day. But do be obsessed with improving your results every day and putting something out there that's going to get a good reaction. So I think that's really important because you can you can give up really easily or get really down if you get too lost in any one thing. And so just like stay even and you have to just like keep pushing ahead like a tank like every day and like don't let things get you down. So just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And one thing I really obsessed with over on was like, for example, like my paid ads, like the right creative that got me to that, you know, 50, 60 K a month number in month four. Um, that obsession was like a two to three in the morning, staying up, like banging out tons of creative in Canva, testing it, see what works. So I would say be obsessed with getting traction and be worried about that. Don't be worried about if you got likes that day on, on social. So I think that's a really important piece of advice to just kind of keep trucking along and, you know, don't like don't listen to what other people tell you to do all the time. Like find out for yourself. Like if I had if I had listened to everybody and said, I'm not going to make my long ad, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now and I wouldn't have the success I've had. So like, you know, just do, do you and believe in what you're doing. You know, it is good advice. Believe in yourself. Be tenacious. Ignore the noise and focus on, on what's right for you. And only you know what that is, ultimately. Yep. And, and all the things I said earlier, too. You know, stand out, be different. See what your competitors are doing and kind of do something different, you know. So stand out as well and make a That advice product. sets the stage for an authentic brand. I think that's, that's the important part. Uh, Kyle Hale, Ambitious Kids. Thank you for joining us. And where can we go to get some t-shirts for our own little people? All right. Well, on Instagram, we're at Ambitious Kid Shop. And I'm releasing a bunch of new fun stuff this spring, original drawings, some word shirts, uh, a lot of fun there. And then ambitiouskids.com on the old interwebs. Starting a business online has never been easier, but growing an e-commerce business is another story. With Privy, it's never been easier to grow your email and SMS lists, automate your email marketing, send on-brand newsletters and texts, and even send abandoned cart text messages, all in one app. Which means no more toggling back and forth, no more managing contacts across apps, just a powerful connection between Privy's email conversion and SMS tools that lets you manage the entire customer experience all in one place. Plus, you can try Privy out for free today. Just head over to privy.com slash unofficial Shopify and you can sign up for your free 15-day trial. That's P-R-I-V-Y dot com slash unofficial Shopify. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. 
and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.